Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today, I am super excited because I do have a special guest with me. I have Dr. Madison Oak. Dr. Madison is a vestibular physical therapist and the founder of the Vertigo Doctor Vestibular Group Fit and the Oak PT and Wellness. Madison helps people to overcome migraines, decrease their dizziness, and just enhance their function so that they can actually improve their life, which is super interesting and absolutely incredible. So welcome, Madison, to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love doing stuff like this and I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I think it's going to be such a cool conversation. Why don't you start off with telling us a little bit about yourself, your own journey, what got you into vestibular health? Absolutely. So I have a little bit of a strange journey. I'm actually not a person who has a vestibular disorder or migraine disorder. Um, I have known I wanted to be a physical therapist or a physiotherapist, whatever you want to call us. Since I was about 16, mm-hmm. I had a friend whose mom was a physio and she was like, hey, you can come intern with me for the summer if you want to do something medical. PT is pretty cool. And I was like, cool, I'll go, whatever. <laughs> um, and that summer I was like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm very much that kind of person. I have a one track mind when I want to do something, mm-hmm. I am going to go to the ends of the earth to figure out how to do it. Um, I went to University of San Francisco for undergrad. I studied kinesiology. I uh, worked in the athletic training room. I worked in a clinic for people with Parkinson's disease. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked at the Children's Hospital in Oakland, California, um, where I worked with kids in inpatient rehabilitation. So kids who were living at the hospital, getting rehab there. And I always kind of loved the neuro side of things. But Um, In physical therapy school, if you asked anyone, they'd say, oh, Madison, she's probably going to go work in inpatient pediatrics at some huge hospital, a huge children's hospital and do inpatient rehab with little kids. Uh, It's usually zero to 25 ish that can go to a children's hospital, depending on their diagnosis and how long they've been um, kind of a patient at that hospital. If you've been since you were zero, you can go until you're 25, 26, depending on -hmm. the place. So That's what I did. And I absolutely loved it in school. And your third year of PT school is what you call your clinical year at a lot of schools. That's how we did it at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And when I was there, I realized that you have to pay for that year and you don't get paid. And so I had to work for free and pay for the work to my institution for sending me there. And so I was like, I need somewhere with free housing. And so when I was considering where I wanted to go, I knew that I would have free housing in a couple of cities and uh, Austin, Texas was one of them. And so I said, send me to Texas in Austin. I don't care what kind of clinic it is. I don't care what I'm doing. Um, Something neuro would be kind of cool, but I need to be there because I can live with some family. And um, during that time, I had an internship at a place called 360 Uh, balance and hearing at the time. It's called 360 Balance and Dizziness now. Um, And it is a vestibular clinic, meaning they only treat balance disorders and dizziness disorders. So we would accidentally get a referral for back pain or hip pain and have to call the patient and be like, we don't see that. Here's some referrals. So literally only dizziness and only imbalance inner ear disorders. And for nine or 10 weeks, all I did all day, every day was see people with balance and dizziness disorders. And at the time I was like, 
I don't know about this. I'm going to go into peds for sure, but like, this is super interesting. It's good information to have. And when I left, they said, well, whether you do this or not, it's good that you have this baseline because you now know more than the average physical therapist knows just straight out of school um, about vestibular disorders. And I was like, okay, that seems kind of crazy to me. But then I remembered not everyone gets this kind of education in school. And at the University of Wisconsin, we do a lot of vestibular, but not as much as a lot of other schools. And we, um, so I did that. Then I moved to New York City afterwards. I did my PEDS uh, internship in New Orleans, moved to New York City. Then the pandemic happened. And right before the pandemic, I was applying to jobs. And I said, okay, where is the nicest clinic that I can find that's hiring in New York City? Because I knew that a physical therapy clinic that I had to see 15 or 20 um, up to 35 patients a day was not for me. And there's a lot of PT clinics like that. And I was like, you know what, that's definitely not for me. But um, I would like to find a clinic where I see a low volume of patients, whatever. And so I saw, I found one and they were looking for someone who wanted to do half orthopedics. So your hips, your backs, your knees, um, and half vestibular. And I was like, I can for sure do that. So, um, I was like, I'll wait for an, uh, an, a job to pop up at some local hospital, um, in New York, there's a couple opportunities, but of course then it was COVID and it's really hard to get a job in inpatient peds because, no one leaves. Once they get those jobs, mm. they do not leave until they retire. And so it's not a place with a lot of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Not a place with a lot of turnover. Um, and so I was like, well, I guess I'll do this job. And at that time, because it was a pandemic, I didn't have a lot of patience. Um, I met my now um, fiance and he and I were chatting and he was like, look, you have a lot of information about this dizziness thing that's in your brain. And in the absolute nicest way, like, I love you, but you've got to tell someone else about this. That's not me. Like, I was just like talking his ear off about dizziness. And he's like, look, you've like, this is great. This is super interesting. But like, I think you've got something here and you've got to do something with this knowledge. And so um, he helped me build a website. I started my Instagram and it's kind of grown from there. So it's at the vertigo doctor everywhere. And um, I started this job and I was like, well, I, I really like treating dizziness and the people at the clinic also like treating dizziness, but they really like acute dizziness. So there's some sorts that are acute and some sorts that are chronic. Um, and they're like, I don't know what to do with these chronic patients. And so they just were like, here, you have them. And I, the new grad was like, okay, I don't know what to do with these people. And I think I'm making some of them worse. And so I really just dove into the research. I discovered vestibular migraine, which is the main thing that I treat. Um, and then persistent postural perceptual dizziness, which more often than not comes with vestibular migraine in my clinic, um, in my practice. And so I treat both of those very, very commonly. And I see people both in my one-on-one -on -one clinic um, in eight states in the US and then also internationally via my group program um, for vestibular health. So it really is something that meshes a lot with many other comorbidities as well. So I see a lot of mm -hmm. other stuff, a lot of um, anxiety, depression, history of trauma, history of eating disorder, history of all of these different things that they don't cause vestibular migraine. They don't cause triple PD, but they can kind of all conglomerate together um, to cause a more chronic form of dizziness um, or trigger vestibular migraine, something like that, and kind of make it um, more intense, I could say. Wow. <laughs> It's like that saying of everything happens for a reason. I feel like you on your journey, the universe just kept popping up with different mm -hmm. things for you to be like, this is where you're meant to be. You have to go into mm -hmm. like vestibular health, which is so cool. And 
now you are helping so many other incredible people to overcome everything, which is amazing. I know that vestibular health and symptoms, and I know that you just mentioned that you specialize in the migraine specifically and a couple of other things, but a lot of people might not actually be familiar mm-hmm. with vestibular symptoms. Yes. Did you want to kind of give a little bit of an explanation of what that Absolutely. is and why it's actually crucial for our overall well-being? Absolutely. So your vestibular system is an inner ear system. So I want you to think about your ears where you put your AirPods, maybe you're listening to this in headphones, that's your ear, right? We all can like touch our ear. We can stick our finger in our ear canal, even though we are definitely not supposed to, Um, but we all kind of do it, right? That's our ear canal. And then it stops where your eardrum is and your eardrum is called your tympanic membrane. So that separates your outer ear from your middle ear. Your middle ear is the part that pops. It also, if you like really flash back to high school biology class, is the part that has those three teeny tiny little bones, your malleus, incus, and stapes. And those three bones are what are partially responsible for hearing. So they vibrate against each other and they help send those vibrations into your inner ear, which is your cochlea. Your inner ear is composed of two parts, your cochlea, which is your hearing organ. The other part you probably learned about in high school biology class and never thought about again. It kind of looks like a snail. And then the vestibular system is actually attached to your cochlea. The vestibular system looks like three circles, basically. They're three semicircular canals, and those detect angular motion. And then the second part of your vestibular system is your otolith organs, which detect linear motion. Now, these two things work together to send signals from your vestibular system into your brain, And your brain will compose those signals kind of like you do with sight, right? You see something, your brain interprets it and tells you what it is. Um, Or you maybe feel something, your brain interprets it, tells you what it is, right? You can tell a quarter from a penny or different denominations Mm. of money wherever you live, right? In your pocket. Um, Your brain is responsible for interpreting all that information. And it does the same thing for vestibular signals. And when you look to the right, the right vestibular system fires more, the left one fires less, and kind of vice versa all day long, left and right fires more, fires less, excitation and inhibition signals are what we call those. And your brain interprets that and sends it and it says, okay, I know where I am in space. It works with two other systems mainly, well, lots of systems, but the two main systems it works with are is your vision, so the way you see the world, And then your proprioception, which is the fancy word for how you feel the world. Those three systems together are really important and they help you to understand where you are in the world. So if you were to close your eyes and stand on something uneven, so you stand on a foam cushion or something like that, you are no longer able to feel where you are in the world so well and you can't see where you are in the world. So your vestibular system is going to be what's in charge of telling you where you are in space in that Mm -hmm. scenario. So these three things work in a system of checks and balances and say, okay, if your vision isn't working, the other two are going to go on overdrive. If your vestibular system isn't working, your vision is going to go on overdrive. And so these three things, they work together kind of in a triangle, always checking on each other, always balancing each other out. And what happens when you have a vestibular disorder is that one stops working as well. And your other systems go on hyperdrive, which can cause other issues. Um, And that's a peripheral vestibular disorder. And then you have your central disorders. Um, And 
when you have a central vestibular disorder, it's a processing issue rather than a signal sending issue. So when we talk about these two systems sending the signal to your brain saying, I'm looking up, I'm looking down, I'm on an uneven surface, I'm accelerating, I'm not accelerating. Those systems are very important, um, but putting it together in your brain is mm -hmm. also really important. So if you have a central vestibular disorder, which would be something like persistent postural perceptual dizziness, uh, stroke, a tumor, um, vestibular migraine, all of those things are central disorders. So it's a processing issue or a neurological disorder that's causing this issue in processing. Um, which hopefully that makes sense. And if you have questions, I can definitely answer them, but you can kind of split up vestibular disorders. They all cause the same or similar symptoms. So it can be anything from room spinning vertigo to I feel imbalanced to I feel like I'm walking on a trampoline kinds of mm. things. So they really do vary vastly um, depending on what is what your um, diagnosis is, but the symptoms can kind of across the board be similar. Mm. Mm, interesting. Okay. And so that because they all interconnect and interlink, mm -hmm. the symptoms mm -hmm. are quite the same, doesn't matter which area it is that you are lacking in. So yes and no, there are different mm -hmm. diagnostic criteria that are going to fit each one and kind of tell us what you have. Yeah. So the two most common, one is a central disorder and one's a peripheral disorder. So we can go with benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, which we shortened to BPPV. It's a mm -hmm. mechanical disorder. It happens in the inner ear itself. This is a disorder where it's going to cause some people a higher risk of falls. It can cause um, room spinning. It does cause room spinning vertigo almost always. It causes nystagmus, which is involuntary eye movement. It causes the vertigo to only happen when you're in certain positions. Um, it can, I think I said, it can increase your risk of falls. It can make you feel just off. It can make you feel a little bit dizzy. Um, it can cause neck pain because you stop moving your head, which will cause that neck pain. Um, but then you have vestibular migraine, which is a central diagnosis, right? It's something, it's a neurological disorder in your inner, in your brain, and it's causing a lot of processing issues and other symptoms. So it also causes room spinning vertigo, sometimes in certain positions, it's going to cause that uh, involuntary eye movement for a lot of people. It can cause 24 seven dizziness. So they really can cause similar symptoms, but seeing a specialist is so, so mm -hmm. important because you want to be able to say, I have the same symptoms in both of these cases, but they're going to ask, how long do the symptoms last? What do they feel like? What does your dizziness feel like? When does it happen? All these different, very specific questions helps us to get to the bottom of what exactly it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And so in this area, for me, like it's not something that I hear very often, or you definitely hear people yeah. talk about mm -hmm. they have a migraine or they had to stay in bed all day or they feel super dizzy, but to go into these depths is not really spoken about. And so I would love mm -hmm. for you to touch on that. There might be a misconception with being able to get a diagnosis or challenges. Absolutely. What are some of those challenges that people do face? Mm -hmm. So dizziness in general is the third most common diagnosis complained about in the GP or PCP or emergency department. 
every year. So dizziness is incredibly common. Mm. Like if you're like, I feel dizzy and I feel like no one else understands, I promise you there are millions of people living with dizziness. And that's a really important thing to know is that you are not alone. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is that a lot of physicians don't like treating dizziness. And this is because a lot of physical therapists, PAs, nurses, you name the healthcare provider, they don't like treating dizziness. There are a select few of us weirdos who are obsessed with it, me being one of them. I know quite a few, so we do exist. And when we talk about that, we think about why is that? And it's because it's really anxiety provoking and it's a very diffuse symptom. So if you say, I feel dizzy, it can mean a thousand different things to a thousand different patients. And the way that you describe that dizziness is going to be different to each person. And when that happens, a lot of people get really frustrated because you have 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes with your provider. And what happens is people go on this very uh, for no fault of their own this long diatribe of like these are the years and years of symptoms that i've had that have started since i was age two because that is your reality that is true um but then doctors oftentimes get really overwhelmed and said like oh my god this has been happening for so long i don't really know what it is it was not taught in medical school it was not taught in pa school it was not taught in nursing school it's not taught in pt school most of the time And so when you have these really long, long histories of chronic symptoms, kind of no matter what it is, the physician or the any healthcare provider, frankly, can get really overwhelmed or frustrated and be like, I don't, I don't know. And so two things happen. Number one is you're making it up in your head. It's just anxiety. Learn to live with it, which is never true. And the second thing that I see happen is people say, well, I just don't know. And I don't know who to refer you to. Sorry. So I have lots of patients who have seen 85, 110 doctors and with no answers. And this is a really, really frustrating cycle because then you're like, am I going crazy? Am I making it up in my head? Is it me? It must be me. I have to be making this up. I am crazy. And none of those things are true. And I know I use, I try to use the word like crazy very lightly. Like I, this is not, this is the, the, um, the sentences that patients have said to me, like I'm reiterating the things that have been repeated to me. And the answer is no, this is not something you're making up, but it is so invisible and it is so anxiety provoking for a lot of reasons. Well, A, it's invisible because you might look like you can't walk in a straight line or feel like you look like you can't walk in a straight line. And that can be something that causes a lot of different emotional anxiety and depression and kind of like freaking out that I can't walk in a straight line. And anxiety and dizziness are processed in the same or similar parts of your brain. So one of the places is called your parabrachial nucleus, and it processes anxiety, it processes dizziness, they're super, super close together. And so when you start to get anxious, you start to get dizzy because you have a dizziness disorder. You start to get dizzy, you get more anxious, you get more anxious, you get more dizzy, Mm -hmm. and you go in this cycle and this cycle repeats itself. And until you can treat one or the other, and usually... You have to do the mindset work and do therapy and maybe maybe have a medication if you need one for the anxiety. But you also need to treat this dizziness disorder because it's not going anywhere for most people. And so when this happens, we say, okay, well, no one believes me. And so what am I supposed to do? And so my job, I feel like on this planet, frankly, is to educate everyone that this is common this is manageable. There are no cures, but you can live a norm, a no, pretty normal life with this. And I think normal 
to say, are you going to go back to 100% all of the things you might do at the exact cadence you used to do them? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. But if you are open to say, okay, I want to do X, Y, Z things. And also I need to make X, Y, Z modifications. That's probably the way that you're going to um, be able to best manage this. And there are some people who never feel dizzy and they feel in remission and that's fantastic. But I'd say the majority of people learn to live with this condition and do it really successfully. Um, And migraine is the most common cause of spontaneous dizziness and vertigo. And so statistically, it's 9% of people in dizziness clinics have vestibular migraine. That study was done in 2016. And so um, it's probably more by now, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, But it's it's a lot of people who have vestibular migraine. It is the most common cause. And I think we forget that migraine is a chronic disorder. So migraine, I don't care what kind it is, whether it's hemiplegic migraine, uh, migraine with aura, migraine without aura, a classic migraine where you get head pain, vestibular migraine, where maybe you don't get head pain. It's a chronic disorder that you live with when you've been diagnosed all the time. But this doesn't mean you're going to have symptoms all the time. And that's where I think people get confused is I have migraine all the time. I have to manage it all the time, but... These acute attacks are what people refer to as migraines. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the comparison of asthma or the comparison of having epilepsy, where if you have epilepsy, you have epilepsy all the time and seizures are the acute presentation, right? If you have asthma, you have it all the time, but asthma attacks are the acute presentation. And the same thing goes for migraine. So I have migraine disease all the time and something that I manage. I try to stay away from my threshold because it's a threshold disorder. We can talk about that if you want. Um, And I manage them. And then if I have an attack, I do this, but that's called a migraine attack. So in the community, in the migraine community, we're trying to get away from the word migraines with an S because that would refer to it being a lot of acute episodes where most people or a lot of people with migraine actually deal with migraine chronically, whether that's I have an attack every day or I have migraine, I have acute attacks sometimes, but I always have extra light sensitivity because my brain is sensitive. And so saying I have migraine disease or have migraine disorder and I have migraine attack today um, would be the proper terminology. And you can have vestibular migraine because it's a spectrum disorder meaning you can be on the spectrum that has head pain. You can be on the spectrum that has no head pain and dizziness or dizziness and head pain. Um, Some people have hemiplegic symptoms. So they have um, like paralysis type symptoms on one side for 45 minutes to an hour. And that is really different for each person. But we have to remember that everyone presents really differently. And I know that was a lot of information at one time. So I'm going to stop for a second and kind of let you do your thing. Well, it's... Just a perfect reminder of why you shouldn't take no from an answer from the doctors as well. Just keep digging until you get all of those answers to be like, this is exactly what you have, or you finally get that referral to the right person. And I think you're right in saying that the more that you can kind of spread awareness on this and just put the information out there and be like, hey, this is actually a thing, the more people are going to reach out to want to get diagnosed as well. And so with the migraines, and super interesting because I never knew that it was chronic and that you 
mm-hmm. have migraines and then you have episodes of it because it's, I've always only heard people say oh, I'm having really bad migraines Absolutely. or I have migraines. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the excess symptoms that people have that they should dig deeper to then possibly be diagnosed that migraines is something that they do have and deal with? And then what are the, the extreme levels? Like how can you have it as something that you deal with every day compared to these episodes that you go into? Mm-hmm. So we'll start with the symptoms. So migraine symptoms can be vast. They can be nausea, light sensitivity, and then I go blind for 45 minutes, ocular migraine. It can be, I get really dizzy. I feel like I'm walking on a trampoline and then all of a sudden like the room is spinning and I can't get out of bed and then I'm fine the next day. It can be anywhere on that symptom, on that spectrum. And this is where we really need to be understanding that this is a spectrum disorder. So it is the, I think, second most debilitating thing if you have chronic migraine that pretty much exists. So that's something that we want to, or debilitating disorder. Um, And that's something we want to be wary of. It is incredibly debilitating. It causes a lot of disability. It causes a lot of missed work days. Um, But if you're having any migraine-like symptoms, I highly recommend seeing a headache specialist. Now, a lot of people say, well, I have dizziness or I have head pain or I have this or that. I'm going to go to the neurologist. The neurologists are great. I'm a big fan of neurologists. The problem is when you go to the neurologist, some of them treat strokes. Some of them do back surgery. Some of them treat spinal cord injury. And some of them do headache medicine. There are very few who do headache medicine, like less than 700 in the whole US. But there are lots and lots of neurologists. So I think what happens a lot of times is people end up going to the neurologist and saying, well, they say I just have anxiety. And I'm like, well, what's that neurologist specialty? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And then I say, okay, well, let's Google it together because I want to make sure these people are getting the right care. And they're like, and it says like stroke specialist. And so this is not the person that we should be seeing. So if you have dizziness, right? If you have imbalance, if you feel like you're walking on the trampoline, light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, if you have headache, if you have a history of migraine, that's painful. And now it's kind of changed. And you're like, this is no longer painful. This is now just dizzy, but I don't, I get my light sensitivity, but I don't get the head pain, but I get these weird dizziness attacks, also migraine. And so if you're having weird symptoms that you can't really explain, your testing is coming back normal, your GP can't figure it out, it could be migraine. And we have to remember that migraine disorder is incredibly common. Like 15% of the U.S. population, I think is this this statistic, um, has migraine. And so it is really, really, really common. And we need to not forget how common and how frequently it shows up. And I think you had another half of your question, which is now escaping me. But if you think you may have symptoms, Mm -hmm. uh, you should definitely go because 50% of those with migraine are undiagnosed. It affects significantly more women than men. Um, And a lot of people have vestibular migraine as well. Mm. And so what are some of the triggers or causes of migraines? Is it something that you were born with or how do you develop them mm-hmm. over the years? It's a, so it's a genetically related disease and some people are more likely to get it than other people. So um, there is a neurootologist, which is a neurologist who specializes in the inner ear. And he has a book called Victory Over Vestibular Migraine. His name is Dr. Shinbei. He's great. Um, and he kind of thinks about it like a pool. 
So you have a shallow end of the pool and a deep end of the pool. And when if you were to go in the deep end, if you, if I am a person who's on the deep end, let's say, I could have all, I could have a genetic predisposition or I don't have a genetic predisposition, but I can eat uh, anything I want. I can not exercise. I can not worry about my nervous system health. I can, um, I don't know, get four concussions. I can do all these things that aren't necessarily good for me, right? And if you've had four concussions and you don't have VM or you do have VM, this is not what I'm talking about, but you can do all of these things and have a brain injury and still not have migraine because you're in the deep end of the pool. You're never going to hit the top. Whereas if I have a really significant genetic predisposition, a lot of my family has migraine, it's really severe for them. I'm going to be more in that shallow end. So some people are born with a lower threshold to a migraine attack. And some people are born with a higher threshold. And some people are never going to hit that threshold because there's absolutely no history of it in their family. They're not, they don't have a concussion or some TBI. They don't have all these different factors, right? But there are people who are genetically going to have a lower threshold who exercise every day and eat so, so well and hydrate till the cows come home and they do this and they do that. And they just are still having attacks every day. And that is not your fault. No matter where you are on this spectrum, if you have ever had a migraine attack, if you have migraine disorder, if you have migraine once a year, if you have a migraine attack every day, it is never your fault. And I want to remind people of that because it is so much self-blame that often comes with migraine, but it is, again, it is not your fault. With the people who have that really low threshold, they're just born with a low threshold. They oftentimes over life are like, well, it's getting worse and I'm doing even better. I think I'm living really healthy and like, I just can't figure out why this is happening. Low threshold. And those people oftentimes need medications. And there are so many medications, definitely not enough for how common migraine is, but there are more and more each week, each month, honestly. Um, and it's getting a lot better. So it's uh, like the, the research is getting better. It's definitely not nearly enough that funding is like near zero in the U.S. for how common migraine is, but um, it's getting better. So you're going to maybe need supplements and medications in order to kind of raise that threshold to give you more leeway in your life. Whereas the person in the deep end of the pool, probably not going to need all of that stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And one thing that I hear a lot from people that do have migraines is coffee and caffeine. And I would love for you to touch on the link between coffee, caffeine, and migraines. Mm -hmm. Okay, so caffeine in general is a touchy subject for people. And I have a video that's like pretty long about this on YouTube that you can go find. Um, Some people have no problem with caffeine and some people have big problems with caffeine. Some headache specialists are like, I love caffeine, keep drinking, no problem. And some people are like, if I even smell the stuff, I am... Nah, not going to happen. And so you really need to walk this line for yourself. I find that people who are really successful with caffeine have the same amount every day at the same day, at the same time every day. So like I wake up at 6.30, my coffee's at seven and I move on with my day. I drink one cup, that's it. It's brewed the same. It's really consistent. A person who has migraine really frequently needs consistency And more than thinking about like, I have to eat this diet and drink exactly this much water and do this and do that and do this, 
being consistent with the basics. So sleep, eating every couple hours, um, maybe doing some breathing, kind of helping with that calmness feeling in your nervous system, things like that. Being consistent, I would say is more important than like avoiding this trigger. Um, Mm -hmm. So we talked, you asked about like trigger foods and things, not often a thing. We really don't see it in the research. Not to say that no one does, some people do, but we don't typically see in the research so much. For caffeine specifically, again, if you have the same amount at the same time, every single day, people tend to do well. I find that people with vestibular migraine, and I don't know why this is, really do not tolerate caffeine. However, when you have an attack, sometimes that that caffeine can act as an abortive medication, meaning I can abort this attack is how we use that word here. I can make this attack go away with a little bit of caffeine. Now, too much caffeine in doing this over and over and over again can cause or can be a part of medication overuse headache, which can be something like from Excedrin, which has caffeine and ibuprofen, I think, um, can cause medication overuse headache. So it really depends on the way that you're using it. But I know some people who have migraine and they drink their caffeine every day and they're like, I live my life and I'm fine. I don't find that it is a problem for me. And other people are like, I can't even smell it. It is a problem for me. And so I really don't walk the line one way or the other. Mm. But I think if you're like, I think that this might be a problem for me, you can take time off of it and just see. It's just an experiment you can do with your life. And the way I recommend people typically do that is to slowly wean off and then bring it back if it you don't notice any difference. So you're not going to want to cut it off cold turkey because everyone knows what a caffeine headache feels like, right? And that's going to give you more symptoms. So brew it week one, three quarters caffeine, caffeinated, one quarter decaf, then half and half week two, then one quarter, three quarters week three, and then fully decaf. And when you get to decaf, you're going to want Swiss water processed decaf, which you have to read the label super carefully. Um, but it's a different decaffeinating process than regular decaf, which has chemicals. Um, Swiss water process doesn't have any chemicals in it. They just use water and time. Um, so if you want to do it, I would recommend trying it that way if you want to try it. But if you're like, I truly don't notice a difference and I have my cup of coffee every morning and it feels great. It's my favorite thing. And I don't think it's going to make a difference for me. And I don't want to try. That's okay too. Some neurologists are like, keep drinking your caffeine. I like caffeine for you. Um, but it's going to be different for everyone. Again, so individualized, which is why it's so important to go and get the answers for you individually which is super super interesting and i had no idea about the decaf coffee and the swiss Mm -hmm. water compared to the regular ones that is so Mm -hmm. interesting it is interesting a lot of people like i hate the taste of decaf coffee it tastes like chemicals that's why Ah, everything's making sense now (laughs) (laughs) i I know that you touched on anxiety and Mm -hmm. stimular health are there Mm -hmm. other mental health disorders that or conditions that these two link together with or is it mostly anxiety that you see so it's mostly anxiety and depression i do see a lot of medical Mm. trauma and ptsd from being gaslit from your doctor a lot Mm. a lot um and then a history of trauma whether it's some sort of abuse or other trauma in your life um i find makes it more likely for vestibular migraine to go along with uh persistent postural perceptual dizziness which is sort of the chronic pain of dizziness. So I think we're more familiar as as a culture, as a society with chronic pain. Um, And that's 
sort of learned pain and it's not anything you've made up in your head. All pain is very real pain and the parts of your brain light up exactly the same, whether it's I scraped my knee or I have learned pain from that. Um, but it's neuroplastic dizziness and neuroplastic pain. And so when we think about the chronic dizziness cycle, it's the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle. Um, and that is sort of the the simplest way to describe 3PD. But when you have a vestibular disorder, if you have a vestibular disorder, you are three more, three times more likely to also live with anxiety mm. and or depression. Um, so there is a really big connection there. And some of this has to do with brain chemistry. Some of this has to do with not being able to do the things you used to do and having those social connections. Um, and then also because dizziness is scary. It's not a fun symptom, right? Most people, when we're Growing up, we are taught that if the room is spinning, you are having a stroke and you're going to die. And that's not true. It's not the most common reason we spin, but that's kind of what we associate it with. And so most people are like, I have a brain tumor, I have a stroke. And then they get an MRI. They're like, you must be missing something. And that in itself can cause a lot of anxiety, but also dizziness is scary. Our brains are not wired for like happy-go-lucky joy humans, right? Our brains are wired to say, I need to protect you from this thing. Our body's entire job is to keep our brain alive and our heart beating. And a lot of that has to do with keeping you upright. And so if your body is feeling imbalanced, if your body is feeling like I can't even stand up, your body is going, oh my God, I'm just going to put all of my energy, all of my power into my brain and hoping that I'm going to stay up. And that causes fatigue that causes more anxiety because now you're focusing on it all the time, which how could you not? Right. Mm. And so unlearning these patterns are really hard um, and very doable, but it takes time and repetition. And um, one of my uh, good friends in this space, her name is Dr. Emily Kostalnik. She's a vestibular psychologist. She's excellent. She talks about this uh, analogy. She calls it the path through the woods. And there's more than one path you could take but neuroplasticity takes the easiest path each time. So if one is a rough trail and one of them is a paved road, your brain is going to take the paved road every single time. And you have to very intentionally take the rougher road, the harder road every single time until that becomes paved and the other one grows over. And that's a really important thing to remember with um, neuroplasticity, with dizziness, with anything that's learned in our brains is we need thousands of repetitions to unlearn something or to learn something. It's like teaching a toddler to say please and thank you. Mm -hmm. You have to do it hundreds of thousands of times. Like how often, how frequently and constantly do you see parents saying, please say please and thank you, say please <laughs> and thank you. Literally like a bajillion yeah. times before their toddler remembers like even 50% of the time, right? And so there's so many things that go into neuroplasticity and it's easier to take the anxiety path because that's how our brain is frequently wired. Um, I love that yeah. analogy. And I feel like yeah, that can too. go for <laughs> so many other areas of your life as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. It makes so much sense. And it's why we always turn for, even like with binge eating, for an example, or turning to food for mm -hmm. the comfort, it's why it's so mm -hmm. hard to break that because in your mind, it's like, well, this is the easy, this is the quick option out. Let's just go for it. Let's do it. What mm -hmm. are some of the most common myths that you do actually hear about vestibular migraines or vestibular health in general? Yeah. So um, that it's in your head is 
number one thing that I hear. This is anxiety. I've been told that I'm making this up in my head or they just have to live with it. None of those things are true. You haven't made this up. It's very real. And you do not have to just live being dizzy. Mm-hmm. Like there are ways that maybe we can accommodate and provide compensations. There are ways that we can make life easier with dizziness. And there are ways that we can reduce dizziness frequently by a lot. Um, and the other most common one I hear is that you can't have migraine because you don't have headache. And again, we have to go back to migraine being a spectrum, both on its frequency and its intensity, and then also on its symptoms. And you do not need to have head pain. Um, And any good headache specialist will tell you this. You do not need head pain in order to get a migraine diagnosis. And it's been so socialized into us that Mm -hmm. my mom has a migraine. She needs to go lay down in her bed and we all have to be quiet because her head really hurts. And I think that that's the easiest way to describe it to kids for sure. But because it's such a common and chronic condition that so many of our friends and family, I'm positive have, if you ask people around you to tell you the truth about it, they will tell you they have it. And it's really common um, that you that you need to be more open about what these symptoms are and recognizing that it looks so much different for so many people. Um, so yeah, you don't need a headache. You do not need a headache for a migraine. Mm-hmm. So many myths have been busted in for me in today's episode. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so, so happy. Good. Because you're right. It is such a common thing to just be like, oh, yep, I have another migraine. Going to like sleep it mm-hmm. off for the rest of the day. And then tomorrow mm-hmm. you just go on with your life. Or, mm-hmm. you know, so many people I've spoken to have like talk about the fact that they have so many headaches or they do get really tired or they have to go mm-hmm. lie down in a really dark room mm-hmm. because they're super sensitive. And it's just, it, it literally they say it as casually as it's just part of the conversation and they yep. just explain something and they just it's like well I have a really horrible migraine and also I had a tuna sandwich for lunch yeah like yeah. those things can go the same conversation if you have headaches it is not normal yeah like there are so many neurologists and headache specialists who talk about like oh I see these patients and I'm like do you have headaches do they disable your life and they're like no mm-mm. well like I have to stay home from work like nine times a month Like that is a disabling Mm. headache. And even if you're like, well, I just push through because like my boss isn't very understanding. Like I feel like I'm going to get fired or like let go or managed out of the company because I have headaches all the time. You need a headache specialist. Yeah. Headaches are not normal. I think we know when we have a headache from dehydration. I think we know when we have a headache because we forgot to drink coffee this morning. That's different. A migraine or chronic headaches are different. And even whether you have one type of headache or migraine headaches or migraine symptoms. Like you can have tension headaches, cluster headaches. Like there are so many types of head pain and it's important to understand what they are. And it's important to understand that they need or can be treated. Um, And I know not everyone has the resources, but there I think are more and more, more accommodating resources in general for this kind of disorder and these kinds of things. And it is really debilitating and you are not making it up and it is not your fault. And I think all of those things are hard to often wrap our heads around, but there is help um, yeah. if you can have it. Yeah. Yeah. And the more that it's spoken about and the more that the message is kind of spread, mm-hmm. I think people will definitely start to turn the corner and be like, okay, yeah, I don't have to live like this and I'm not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I do have some quick fire questions for you. Are you yes. ready for these? Yep. Go. What is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up? Exercise. Can't get up without it. Almost every single day, like five, six days a week. 
That's so good. What is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life? I think more breathing. I think we can take a deep breath every once in a while instead of spiraling. I call it the doom spiral. And recently I've been catching myself in the doom spiral and I say, nope, we're going to take a couple deep breaths. And it does not always help. But when it does, <laughs> it's better than the doom spiral. So yeah, things aren't always as bad as they seem. Yeah, I think breathing and breath work is something, one of the most underrated things. Like people always talk about oh, it's amazing, but just throughout our day-to-day, we do not breathe deep enough. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We're all breathing up here in our chest. Mm-hmm. You need yeah. to use your diaphragm. It's really good for you. And sometimes if that feels really anxiety-provoking, something is somatic and it's supposed to be rapid, but something a somatic therapist, her name's Kate Schwab, taught me. Um, she's at Kate Schwab Somatics on Instagram. She's great. She um, taught me just observing that you are breathing if changing your breath feels too overwhelming can be just as effective and sometimes more effective for people. So if you're like, oh my God, I have to breathe through my stomach. I'm doing it wrong. I'm breathing too much in my chest. Stop. Just be like, I feel myself breathe in. I feel myself breathe out. And that can in itself can just be really relieving and helpful. I love that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What She's is your cool. favorite quote and why? Um, okay. So I have two. <laughs> my favorite quotes are luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, my other favorite one is the significant problems we face cannot be solved by thinking that we created them. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one is because I think that being prepared is so important. And I think that even when it is lucky, like someone's like, oh, I had a lucky break. They have been working so hard beforehand to do that. And now, even if they did just create a cool t-shirt overnight, they now have to be prepared after to do that supply chain or whatever. So luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. It was on uh, our play wall when I was a kid. Um, and then the significant problems we face cannot be solved by thinking that we created them. When even if we are at fault or even when something is wrong in our lives, saying I did this wrong, I am bad, I did this wrong is not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. But finding a solution to it is. And that is uh, always more effective than just being like, I am the problem here. That's never going to help no matter what you do. So, yeah. I love both of those because you're so right. You have to put yourself in those opportunities Mm -hmm. or in a position to get those Mm -hmm. opportunities, whether it's hard work before, whether it's getting ready after, like you said, Mm -hmm. and then also you're so right, like beating yourself up and having that self-criticism and that negative talk is literally just going to keep you stuck exactly where you are rather than propelling you forwards. Totally. I'm totally with you. One question that I love to ask all my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you're looking back at your life, what do you think would be your biggest achievement or one thing that you will be most proud of? This actually could be something that you have already done, but it could also be something that you are hoping to do in the future. I think it's kind of a combination of things that I'm doing and hopefully continue to do is I would really love to be the leading resource for dizziness and vertigo disorders. And at this moment, I'm not, and that's okay with me, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm definitely up there with the biggest resources. And that is something that I'm really proud of. And I look back on like five years ago, this is the life that I have very intentionally created. Um, And then I think that the more I'm able to do, the more excited I'll be in looking back. Yeah, I think what you're doing is just absolutely incredible, literally changing people's lives and helping them to actually understand things that they've probably felt so lost in for so long. So it's just amazing. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about all of it and I have a blast doing it. Yeah, it's so good. Did you want to tell the audience if you have anything coming up that's exciting for them? Where can the listeners go to find you and connect with you? 
Yes, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at the vertigo doctor and I'm launching a new podcast. I don't know when this comes out, but September 15th, it's called grounded the vestibular podcast. You can find that on Instagram at grounded.vestibular.pod or any platform where you're listening to this. It will also be. Um, and then if you're interested in working with me, you can try vestibular group fit, which is the affordable and comprehensive program that focuses on movement, mindset, support, and education, um, to help you take, take you from really frustrated and dizzy about your dizziness to feeling like you're in control of that vestibular disorder. Um, or we can work together one-on-one in California, Virginia, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Wyoming, and Wisconsin. That's all the places you can find me. It's a lot. (laughs) And then the vertigodoctor.com for everything else. Yeah. So good. And I will put all of the links and everything in the show notes to Instagram, to website. So people have easy access to all of that as well. They can go over, connect, ask any questions that they might have. But thank you so much, Madison. This episode has been amazing. Like so many aha moments, so many myths busted, just so much light has been shone on this topic, which I think is so powerful. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and love talking about the vestibular system and the world of dizziness and vertigo. So if anyone has anything they have been curious about, or maybe they have a friend about, definitely shoot me a message. I'm happy to yeah. chat. I respond to all of my DMs. So yeah, give me yeah, a shout. I totally agree with that. And if anybody knows anybody who struggles with migraines, headaches, dizziness, definitely send this episode to them so that they can have a listen as well. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Naked Wellness Podcast. I hope you got as much out of today's episode as I did. It was absolutely incredible chatting with Madison. If you know somebody who does struggle with headaches, with migraines, with dizziness, with light sensitivity, I would love it if you could share this podcast episode with them so that we can spread the awareness and shine the light on this particular topic. If you have any questions or you would love to discuss this topic further, then just head over to my Instagram, which is KJ Wellness with three S's, because as always, I absolutely love connecting with all of you over there. I will chat with you in the next episode very soon. Until then, you take care. Bye.